2: welcome to true crime garage wherever you are whatever you are doing thanks for listening i'm your host nick and with me as always ladies and gentlemen the star of the new movie sharknado 5 he is the captain
0: thank you thank you thank you it's good to be seen and it's good to see you thanks for telling a friend thanks for sharing on social media much
2: love to you Tonight, we are drinking Spotted Cow by New Glarus Ooh. Brewing Company. Garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. This is a Wisconsin farmhouse ale brewed with flaked barley and the finest Wisconsin hops. Delicious. And Spotted Cow was brought to us by these generous souls. First up, we have Brooke, all the way in New South Wales, Australia. Good day. In South Australia, we have Andrew. Masjib. And we also have Andreas in Stockholm, Sweden. Let's keep the garage ship overseas for a minute and say hi to Aurora in Shanghai, China. Like your jib. Next, we have Lindsay in Warnersville, Pennsylvania. Also, we say hi to Tammy in Bethlehem, Georgia, and Stevie from Utah.
0: Little town of Bethlehem.
2: And last but not least, somewhere in the beautiful town of Parts Unknown, we have Jennifer.
0: Hey, Jennifer, your HOA fees are due. Pay up.
2: Wanna say thank you to everybody for pitching into this week's beer fund. And if you want to kick it up for next for week,
0: pitch in a tent,
2: go to True Crime Garage and click on the donate button.
0: And everybody be patient. We're a little behind on the beer funds. Much love to you.
2: And here in Beautiful Parts Unknown, we just opened up the first ever delivery canoe and kayak shop. And if you want to get your douche canoe shirt, we have them available at TrueCrimeGarage.com in the store page. We are taking pre-sale orders up until 420. April 20th, so mm-hmm. if you if you haven't ordered one by then, you get No Douche Canoe Shirt. No Douche Canoe
0: Shirt for you, my friend.
2: And don't forget to follow me on Untapped and follow the show on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, all that stuff, at True Crime Garage. And that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Pitch a tent. And let's talk some true crime.
3: Police are working extended shifts around the clock trying to find Cheryl Levitt, her daughter Suzanne Streeter, and Suzanne's best friend Stacy McCall. The three disappeared from this house early Sunday morning. The women had attended Kickapoo graduation ceremonies at Hammond Student Center Saturday night. Suzanne and Stacy had gone to a couple of parties, then returned here to Suzanne's home. Investigators suspect foul play. The woman's cars were in the driveway. Their personal belongings, including their clothes and purses, were in the house. There was no sign of a struggle. We
1: are still asking for individuals that may have had contact with either the McCall girl, Miss Streeter, or Miss Levin to make contact with our department, so we can narrow down the time frames that we're working with as to physically when was the last time they were seen and known to be safe.
3: The FBI is treating the disappearance as a possible kidnapping. One FBI agent has been assigned to work with local police. More than 30 Springfield officers have been assigned to the case.
1: The Springfield Police Department has committed all manpower available to the investigation of the disappearance of these three ladies. The investigations division itself is divided into two teams, each team working 12-hour shifts. In addition to that, the department's crisis action team has been assigned to this case along with additional supplemental support out of the uniform division.
3: Glenn says police will continue to work around the clock until all leads have been exhausted. Dennis Graves, KY3 Action News.
2: Welcome to day two in the garage. We are discussing the famous case of the Springfield three, the disappearance of Stacy McCall, 18 years old, Mm -hmm. Susie Streeter, 19 and Cheryl Levette, 41. This is a much requested case. We're just a little less than two months away from the 25 year anniversary of this strange disappearance where we left off yesterday. We started getting into some horrible people that could be considered suspects in this case. When discussing leads in this case, we talked about Bart Streeter as a possible lead, the brother. That went nowhere. We also discussed the boyfriend, Dustin, and his friends right. uh, who, who had some involvement there, but but not a whole lot going on. They are still considered suspects to this day. And we talked about a really bad dude named Stephen Eugene Garrison. And he kind of falls in line with whom we're going to talk about today. We have a few people, and these are all considered very bad people that were in the area at the time of the disappearance of the Springfield 3. Right. So first up today, let's talk about a guy named Gerald Carnahan. A St. Louis County jury convicted Gerald of first degree murder and forcible rape for the death of Jackie Johns, who was twenty five this was twenty-five years after the fact. I believe he was convicted in two thousand and ten, so it took quite a bit of time But Gerald Carnahan is now safe from all of us. He's he's stuck in prison. He he was 52 years old when he was convicted. So he'll probably spend the rest of his life in a cell. Thank God.
0: Right. So Jerry Dingleberry is in prison.
2: Yes. So Carnahan, by the time he was arrested and convicted, he was a family man. He and his wife had two daughters. Mm. Uh, His family has told reporters that his wife had no idea when she married him that he was a He was suspected of these horrible crimes way back in 1985. After the verdict was read, bailiffs put handcuffs on Carnahan. His defense attorney asked that he be allowed to talk to his family one last time. You know, this is nice for Carnahan, but pretty crappy for the rest of us, right? I mean, when he killed Jackie Johns, he certainly didn't give her one last opportunity to talk to her family. Right. So why should he get this privilege? Well, the judge, Captain, apparently he thinks a lot like you and I. Because the judge basically ignored the defense attorney's request, not even answering the defense attorney, and the bailiffs led him out of the courtroom.
0: Well, and we're just looking up his picture. I mean, he, he, he looks harmless.
2: He looks like a doughboy. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, it's believed that Carnahan raped and beat Jackie Johns, who was only 20 years old in June of 1985, and dumped her body in Lake, in Lake Springfield. They started looking at him as a suspect within a week of the murder, but didn't have sufficient evidence to charge him. He was charged in 2007 after criminalists said DNA evidence in semen found on John's body matched Carnahan's DNA. And yes, it was it was 2010 when he was convicted.
0: Yeah, but at least justice was served.
2: DNA analysis wasn't available, obviously, in 19, in the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. The Springfield Police Department got a grant in 2003 that let it afford to look at cold cases such as this one. The Springfield Police Department tested the DNA from samples taken from Jackie John's body and car, but it wasn't able to make a, a match to a, any known person. In 2006, the Missouri State Police Highway Patrol got a similar grant for a cold case analysis and again tested the evidence and got a DNA match to Carnahan after getting a search warrant to take a swab of his saliva. At trial, a Highway Patrol criminalist testified he didn't know Springfield police sent the same semen evidence to the lab three years earlier, which turned out to be almost a stroke of luck because it's possible the Highway Patrol criminalist would may not have even retested the evidence had he known about the previous test.
0: Obviously, he was such a suspect that years later they said, Hey, we got to get a, a warrant to get his saliva.
2: Yes, yes, he he was the number one suspect. They just had no evidence to convict him. Now,
0: and I bet I bet Jerry Dingleberry was a sweaty doughboy when that was going down.
2: <laughs> well, Janice Johns Walker, uh, fifty nine. Uh, this is Jackie John's oldest sister. Talked about the impact of the murder on her family, and her mother died in nineteen eighty eight with cancer. But Walker says that that's not what killed her, uh, saying that her mom grieved herself to death. She would sit and cry and cry, and it, it took a toll on her. Right, uh, Stating holidays were never the same. Jackie was gone, and that really destroyed the family. It weighed very heavy on all of them throughout the year.
0: So did the doughboy boy get the electric chair?
2: N- well, no. They decided not to seek the de- death penalty because Jackie John's father was in extremely poor health at the time when they were bringing these charges to trial. Mm-hmm. And the prosecuting attorney feared that he wouldn't live long enough to see the outcome of this trial so with the family's blessing they decided to just you know waive the death penalty and move forward with the case so he could get some closure he got some closure before he he would pass on
0: well that's good that that's good news from law enforcement right? well
2: and i'll tell you what the thing here that you kind of have to applaud is they they found their number one suspect they stuck with him for 25 years right. and built a case around this guy and even though it's justice delayed it's not justice denied um and the family did get some closure uh here here's carnahan's criminal record all of these convictions are crimes in 1993 or 1994 and he served time for all of these charges back in the 90s Uh, First, we see second-degree burglary of a business as well as arson at the same business. Uh, He was also convicted of attempted kidnapping of a girl in Springfield, Mm. assault of a law enforcement officer, uh, attempted kidnapping and tampering with evidence. In 1993, Carnahan was charged in Greene County with attempting to abduct an 18-year-old girl. Her name was Heather Starkey. So Carnahan's victim type Certainly includes the teenage girls, uh, Stacy and Susie, right. and, and we see kidnapping and rape charges. These women obviously were kidnapped. So, so this disappearance of the Springfield Three fits Carnahan's M.O.
0: Well, but our problem here is that there are so many people that contaminated the crime scene or where they went missing from that we can't. There's nothing that we can test to compare it with this, you know, dope boy.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and we know that he was living in the Springfield area at the time, he was, he was living there at the time of the disappearance, but really other than that, you know, his MO and, and, his proximity to the crime, you know, being a rapist and a killer, we really have nothing else on, on Gerald Carnahan, but we know he was out. He was a free man at the time. And he is certainly capable of, of these terrible things.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Next, let's talk about Larry D Wayne Hall now, Larry Duane Hall, he he is a twin. He has a brother, Gary Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nothing the, wrong with twins. And the two of them lived in uh, the Missouri area. The thing here is, though, it, it's not so important when you talk about Larry Hall where he lived because. Uh, it, he was in, He was one of those traveling guys. He, he did those Civil War reenactments. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at pictures of him, you see he's got the, the mutton chops there.
0: Yeah, his, his mutton chops are a reenactment of just a horrible crime on his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the main reason that Larry was a suspect, he actually didn't live anywhere near Springfield, but he had a similar vehicle that matched the description of the eyewitnesses.
2: Yes, remember we talked about the, the Dodge van. That the the older Moss woman green. had reported being a green color, mm-hmm. Uh the, the paper boy saying it was a brown, and then everybody coming forward, and next thing you know, it's purple, black, white, tan, every other color in the in the rainbow, or or I don't know if the, if those colors are in the rainbow. The thing here is though, but he was he was a traveling guy. He traveled around doing these different Civil War reenactments. Uh, a lot of the times, he was traveling with his twin brother. Mm -hmm. Now the thing here is is exactly what the captain said, his vehicle matched that van. But, but this Larry Hall guy is an interesting dude because he is actually only convicted of one murder. And this would be, uh, his victim was Jessica Roach. She was a 15 year old girl. She was last seen with her sister Mindy as the two were going to the store in Georgetown, Illinois. Uh, her sister said that she was walking down the road with her bike. When the sister returned from the store, she called out for for Jessica, and she was not there. She got no answer. And a bus driver that was passing by, he did you know he actually saw the bike lying in the middle of the road, which he thought was extremely odd because you know first he probably thought somebody could have been hit, um, but the thing here is he ends up police police end up talking to Larry Hall about this. Mm-hmm. And it's several years after the fact, but they suspected Hall and many other possible abductions, disappearances and murders, but didn't have a whole lot of evidence other than being able to place him somewhere near the crime scenes. And so when they talked to Hall about this situation, they showed him a picture of, of Jessica Roach Mm -hmm. And as soon as they showed, he's one of these captain. I I hate to kind of go off on the side thing here, but he's a, he's a really try to
0: just stick to the story, man. I don't, I don't really like going off on tangents.
2: He's a really rare breed for me. Like when I've seen interviews and stuff with him, Mm -hmm. he, he comes off like extremely emotional, Um, Mm -hmm. almost like even, even almost maybe a little remorseful and we don't typically see this with people that, that we, we throw into this group of having. They suspect that Hall may have killed as many as 30 or 40 people. Yeah. And and the thing here is when they show the picture of Jessica Roach to Hall, he he like immediately turns away and he just starts ball Like not just crying. He's bawling like a baby. And the thing is, he immediately admits to killing her. And then on top of that, he in this emotional state, you know, they kind of broke through the shell when they showed him the picture, they get him talking. And in this emotional state, he starts like confessing to other things. He's like, yeah, I killed her and I killed, you know, all these other girls, too. And but they but then they, you know, they hit a wall with him in this interview and they can't get any more information about these other girls he doesn't name them he doesn't give them places uh, really nothing to go off of it was kind of It seemed to me like he really needed to kind of get this off of his chest somehow
0: well I'm one of the few people that don't actually believe that most serial killers remember everything mm-hmm. of their victims where mm-hmm. a lot of people say uh, most serial killers can just they can bring up every detail of every killing Yeah. or the majority of them I, I don't believe that's the case for even as much as 50% of them
2: Um, I, I go back and forth on that, but with a person, as far as Larry Hall goes, I could see that maybe he doesn't recall the names because some of these people, he may not have known their names. Right. Uh, A lot of these people, he didn't really stalk. He kind of just would see somebody walking down the street and
0: opportunists and pull
2: them off of the road. Yeah. And pull them into his
0: van, which this always frustrates the shit out of me because in so many cases, like you take like even Mara Murray, for example. Like the opportunist killer, we see it time and time again. It is very rare. Guys.
2: It is very rare. But yes, we do see this. It's not
0: that rare. I mean, we're talking about Larry right now. Ted Bundy was one.
2: Right? No, no. But I mean, as far as a percentage goes, as right. far as serial killers go, a lot of them are opportunist killers. Okay. But as as a when you compare it to how many regular people are walking around on the planet, there's not that many of them. Mm-hmm. And and what they mean by it being rare is that your chances. Of you being in a vulnerable state when you happen to cross paths with that person, it's mathematically not likely to, to, to happen to most of
0: us. Right. But we know that Larry confessed to one crime, but the other crimes that he confessed to, there was no names right. or dates or places. So is he just a one and done type killer? Or is, I mean, is this all just kind of horse malarkey?
2: Well, here's the thing when, when reviewing, you know, some, some people have gotten together and they've put together a potential victim list for Larry Hall. Now, I think the numbers could be exaggerated a little bit because when you look into these, when you look at all 40 of them, there were several of these cases, let's say five or six of them, maybe as many as nine or 10 that you have other suspects in, in these cases Right. The problem with a lot of these cases that are listed in this 40 is some some of these people have never been found, uh, which makes things extremely difficult uh, where I believe that he probably did commit more than one murder. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's somewhere in like the teens to the 20s, because he seems like somebody that once emotionally he wants to confess but mm-hmm. only for selfish reasons only to, to to relieve himself of the burden that he's carrying around not because he wants the not because he wants the recognition of being this prolific serial killer mm-hmm. or not because he wants to actually help anybody else out but he would give he would give vague details of stuff that he probably could recall you know there, there was one situation regarding a disappearance in 1991 uh, where he says you know when talking to investigators he he admitted to picking up a woman in Claremont, which is on the west side of Indianapolis, and he states that you know what I don't I don't know her name I never knew her name uh, all I remember is that she didn't want to go with me and she had to be forced. Now he doesn't say that he he killed her or what he did with her, but they but then they do know that a girl named Georgia Shreve uh 37 she was last seen in that area almost at that exact time so it's a bit of a coincidence right captain yeah
0: my big question though here is that he you know larry's claiming that he's traveling around with his twin brother gary first of all twin brother gary larry and gary hey hello don't do that don't don't name your kids larry and gary not when they're twins It's not acceptable.
2: Well, and I think I know what you're getting at here, captain. You, you're implying that maybe the two of them were guilty together in some of these crimes, right? Um, they most certainly did travel a lot together, driving all over the United States. If you look at the crimes that they think that Larry might have committed, uh, you basically could chop the United States in half right down the middle and everything on the East side. He's about in every other state with a potential victim. Um, I do know that Gary didn't attend all of these events with Larry. uh, So it might be possible that this was something that he did on his own, but you did touch on something interesting there because that, you know, it's stated and, and you and I both kind of hate this, this when they bring this up, but uh, Larry is, is stated to have a pretty low IQ. uh, Uh, Yeah. And I think they, I think they put his number around 80 and I do want to, my caveat to everybody out there: there's different there's different IQ tests out there, so so different scores mean different things on those tests. Right. But what I've seen reported is 80. Now, do, do we know that that is right? Who knows? But I'm
0: about 65.
2: I wonder. You know, it's been put out there that it is it possible that somebody had to teach this to Larry? Maybe when he was younger. You know, mm-hmm. may, maybe he was a part of an abduction. Uh, where somebody else was involved and perpetrated the abduction at a young age and this was something that he took a liking to Mm -hmm. Um, I have heard one there's an author that wrote a book on him called I believe it's called urges and the author refers to Larry Hall as like a savant where he's pretty you know kind of dumb at everything else but but this might be something that he's worked on and perfected over the years Um,
0: almost as like a Autism
2: or yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, a savant where you're just kind of good at one or two things. And you know, he apparently is good mm-hmm. at if, if he is guilty of 30 or 40 people, he's very good at abducting and disposing of people.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, without getting
2: caught. If your mutton chops
0: aren't legit.
2: Then you're a piece of shit. Well, and I also want to lay to rest things that you know. So just so people are clear that he's not a one and done killer. That there is some validity here too. That he he could have been involved in other cases. Mm-hmm. We have that of Tracy Rietler. Uh, she was 19 years old. This took place in 1993. She was a freshman at Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. Now she was last seen around 8 p.m. one night traveling to the supermarket. And she had not been seen again. Now, this was a murder that not only Hall confessed to, but later recanted the confession. To furthermore, to add more evidence to the possibility of that, just about eight or nine days later, in that same neighborhood, he was he was pulled over because he was harassing two female students that were walking home he was and they were scared because this other girl had already gone missing mm-hmm. they report the situation to a security guard the security guard tracks down this van and pulls him over and sure enough it's it's larry hall driving the van
0: right 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 the p
2: green well here's a an, here's another situation here captain okay this took place in may of 1994 okay now, Larry Hall is pulled over. So, two years after. Yeah, pulled over by a police officer after he was trying to coax some girls to get into his van. And when he's pulled over, they search the van. And listen to the, the unusual items that they find in the, in his van. They find a spray can of starter fluid, fluid mm-hmm. a cotton mask, and cotton balls. A cotton. A plastic mm-hmm. tarp, some knives, and some rope. Uh, and the officers also found newspaper articles regarding the disappearance of that Tracy Rietler that we just previously well, discussed.
0: What's odd about that?
2: Well, it's odd because you could probably spray the starting fluid into cotton balls or a cotton mask and hold it over somebody's face and All right. subdue them and pull them into your van. Um, it, it, these seems like... The, these, when you're
0: driving around in a rape van, what... what What's odd about finding those? Items? Oh, I, I see what that's you're what saying. What
2: I'm Wait, saying it very much fits Larry Hall's van.
0: All right. So what happens with this Larry Hall character?
2: Yeah, and I don't want to go through all of the potential victims because we would be here all day and night. But mm-hmm. the thing here is that's interesting is after he is sentenced to life uh, for Je- for the death of Jessica Roach, we have a situation where his brother, remember old Gare? Old mm-hmm. Old Gare Bear, he comes forward and he starts Gare saying there. that his brother Lair uh, is probably one of the most prolific serial killers that this country's ever seen. That that he believes that that his brother has been pulling girls and women into the van for for twenty some years. Yeah. Well, hey, what well, way to bring this up after the fact, jackass. Yeah. And I like, hey, Well, and
0: and by the way, I think he's the most pro- prolific serial killer of all time, and he killed all these women. And guess what? I'm writing a book about it.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I might have stretched that a little bit. It was more like ten or fifteen years. But anyway, that that's the claims that Gary comes out with after the fact. Now we we have a weird situation here where Larry then retaliates and he says, you know what? Um, I'm sick of covering up for Gary for all these years.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, what, what did I say?
2: You're exactly right. And at some point he's he says, uh, you know, I'm going to have to tell you what actually happened. Mm-hmm. He also but the weird thing here is he actually throws another name into the into the serial killer pool at, at the mm-hmm. same time. He says, "You know what? I kind of uh some of these murders were committed by a guy and I can't remember the name, and, and, it's, and it's fair that I don't because we don't even know who this guy is or have any evidence on his him. His
0: name was Mayer. It was Lair, Gare, and Mayer.
2: <laughs> this was somebody that would not have been related to them. It was Barry. Um,
0: Larry, Gary, and Barry.
2: But he claims that he was with this other person who committed some of these, these murders as well. So, um, a, a very interesting story regarding Larry Hall and his. Well,
0: and you, like you said, with his low IQ, maybe he learned it from somebody. Maybe he learned it from his 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 stupid brother.
2: He's interesting because his van fits the description, first of all. Mm-hmm. Second of all,
0: there would have been two of them.
2: Possibly there could have been two of them, which would have, you know, I I I think it would be difficult to abduct three women all at the same time. And I think if you had if it were two versus 3, it would certainly be easier uh to pull off in my mind. So that makes him a very interesting suspect, and he's somebody that uh, these the the armchair detectives should look him up, because if you have a, a girl that's anywhere from the age of 15 to about 32 mm-hmm. of an unsolved crime in your area, and it was took place in the 80s or the early 90s, uh, and it's on the eastern half of the United States, there's a good chance that he might be considered a suspect in, 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 that, in that case.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, I'm 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 so over Larry and Gary. Uh, why don't you go paddle your canoe down the river? And uh, we'll get back to this case right after this quick beer break.
2: The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case.
0: Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out betterhelp.com garage today.
2: With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian-approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code True Crime Garage 50 at factormeals.com slash True Crime Garage 50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. And we are back. Cheers, everybody. Probably the most interesting or maybe the, let's say someone who looks like a more likely suspect than some of the other creeps that we have been discussing Mm -hmm. is a guy by the name of Robert Craig Cox. Now, because of the relentless persistence by Janice, remember that's Stacy McCall's mother, another Mm -hmm. major and promising break in the case occurred. A tipster from the state of Florida called in after seeing the case on the national news and giving the authorities the name Robert Craig Cox, adding him to the list of suspects. As it turns out, the caller was the brother of Sharon Zellers, a 19-year-old teenager allegedly murdered in 1978 by Robert Cox.
0: Yeah, and Shannon was on her way home from working at Disneyland or Disney World. Disney World. And uh, she was abducted.
2: Yes. uh, At the time, Robert was in the vicinity celebrating his recent graduation from basic training to become an army ranger. Mm -hmm. Robert Cox was staying with his parents at a hotel nearby. It was quite late that night, and Robert headed out on his own while his parents were wanting to get some rest. Sometime later, Robert returned to the room covered in blood. His parents rushed him to a hospital. The blood was coming from Robert's tongue, which was partially bitten off. He told the staff that he bit off his own tongue, yet the medical examiners concluded that it's in, improbability due to the direction of how Robert's tongue, tongue was taken off. Mm-hmm. Two days later, police located the body of Sharon Zellers, who was reported missing after not returning back home after work. Her body was only about 100 feet from the hotel Robert and his family were staying in. Sharon's body was stuffed into a manhole at a sewage pumping station. The coroner ruled that she had been beaten on the head about 14 times with a blunt object. Because of the strange story of Robert Craig Cox about his tongue and the connection of him staying so close to where the body was found, the police interviewed him. He told police that he had accidentally bitten off his tongue when a big black man hit him during a fight outside of a skating rink.
0: And this rink was really close to where she used to get cigarettes at like a convenience store, grocery store. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, it was an all night grocery store and she would often stop there on her way home from work. Now the thing here is Cox said that after the fight at the skating rink that he drove around in his car, he got lost and returned to the skating rink where a stranger gave him a lift back to the hotel. Yet no blood was ever found in Cox's car. The Good Samaritan could never be found. And deputies working at the rink, at the skating rink, said no such fight had occurred. Mm-hmm. The police speculated that Cox had ad- abducted Zellers, forced her to drive to Sandy Grove, then lost his tongue as he tried to assault her. They said Cox. Oh, good had, for her. Yeah. Well, they said Cox, being a well built army ranger, who had just completed basic training, probably flew into a rage and beat the girl to death. No murder weapon was ever found. Police were unable to charge him. After this incident, Robert traveled with the Army to California, where in 1985 he was charged and convicted on two separate occasions of abduction and assaults of women.
0: Well, then that's the sad thing about this is, you know, when you have these monsters, it's like they would get caught early. I'd be off the streets and it would save so many lives.
2: In the first of these two cases in California, Cox stalked a woman and grabbed her when she got out of her car. He held a knife to her throat. The woman struggled and then the process in the process badly cut her hands, bleeding all over his car. She persuaded Cox to take her to the hospital. When police showed up, he fled. The police later found handcuffs and an arsenal of weapons in Robert Cox's home. In the second case, Robert Cox abducted Gidget Wickham at gunpoint from the Monterey Airport parking lot. Mm-hmm. From the trunk of his car, he grabbed a double bag filled with automatic weapons and survival gear. Then he instructed her to drive him to the mountains. She escaped after she got Cox to stop by her friend's house. So she, she talks him into stopping off on the way at a friend's house. And then things you know go badly for Cox. Right. Good for the girls. Uh, Police arrest Cox after he had held the friend hostage at gunpoint, threatening to kill this friend uh, and then kill
0: himself. Well, just let the friend go and uh, you just kill yourself.
2: Yeah, that that would have helped us all out. Mm -hmm. Well, it was after he's brought up on these charges that Florida, you know, the, the authorities there, they're like, okay, well, we have all this circumstantial evidence. But now we really we know what he's fully capable of. So Florida was able to indict him for the murder of Sharon Zeller along with the tongue thing uh, and hair and blood samples found near the victim. These were compatible with Robert Cox Uh, Cox testified that he bit through his tongue during that fight. So eventually Robert, he was taken to trial in which he was found guilty. And I actually think that they had a good, a really good case here. Uh, They also had a boot print of his, a map showing convergent paths of the defendant and the victim, uh, the night that she was last seen alive. Mm-hmm. They found blood in his motel room, uh, blood in her car. Uh, but because of unfortunate events, the ruling was eventually overturned as Cox sat on death row, awaiting execution for the beating death of Sharon Zellers. The Florida Supreme court decided the, the, the puzzle had not yet been solved after all. They claimed that the jurors were mistaken and the seven justices ruled that Cox's uh, on Cox's automatic appeal, that there was not enough evidence to actually convict him of this. Right, right. So they reversed the conviction. Yeah.
0: How much more do you need? A picture of him doing it? A video of him doing it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you you have blood. He's missing part of his tongue.
2: You have blood and hair evidence. You have a boot boot print. You have a map showing that he was, you know, taking a route that, that she would have been on. Um, So, you know, after the after this was overturned, uh, some of the jurors came forward that had originally convicted Cox. Mm -hmm. And one of them stated, you know, Robert Cox is a killer. Robert Cox killed Sharon Zellers. Uh, Robert Cox will kill again because you have provided him the opportunity. Right. And another one said that if he walks. There will probably be more victims, and the blood will be on the hands of those seven justices.
0: Right, but so if the jury is coming out and saying all this stuff, and and so these justices are coming, like, who got to them?
2: Who got to the justices?
0: Somebody had to get to them, right?
2: Yeah, I I don't know... I don't know how this whole thing went down. It really makes no sense to me. Like I said, well, maybe
0: he has uh, like a father of
2: power or something. Well, like I said, I thought they had a really good case there. Uh, he did end up serving some time, you know, because he was waiting there on death row during the process of his appeals. Right. Um, but what happens is after they overturn the case, they then have to send him back to California to serve time for those crimes uh, that he committed before he went to Florida, and one of the before things, he went back to Florida. Sorry,
0: right. One of the things that was pretty interesting to read was how he wasn't that popular with the inmates uh, because he had that you know just the piece of the tongue missing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, see afterwards, Robert Cox is released and moved in 1992 where his parents were living, which was Springfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. This is just months prior to the disappearances of the three women. The Zeller family still mourning the loss of their daughter in the release of Robert. They were keeping tabs on any news relating to him. Right. And that's why they reached out to they reached out to Stacey McCall's mother years later after this hit the national news. Now, while living in Springfield, Robert had a few jobs. Uh, During his time in the area, he was employed as an underground utility worker on the south-central side of town. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is an occupation that many believe could help him con his way into an unsuspecting person's home, potentially kidnapping them. Uh, He was also a mechanic at a used car lot. And the interesting thing here, Captain, is this is where Stacy McCall's father was working, Uh, the McCall family believes that it it is quite possible that Robert Cox would have seen Stacy when she visited her father at his job. Robert was interviewed and he was questioned by police and he had an alibi for the night that the Springfield Three went missing. What was his alibi? His girlfriend confirmed that he was with her that entire evening and night and that they had attended Sunday morning church services the following morning. (laughs) Now, Sounds like
0: a bunch of. Bull.
2: Well, here's here's the thing. Here, yeah. three years later in 1995, Robert was arrested in Texas for holding an armed weapon to a 12 year old girl. Since then, he's been serving a life sentence for aggravated robbery in the state of Texas. Now, later, Robert's girlfriend back from 1992, now his ex spoke to the Springfield police department and she recanted her entire statement about his alibi. She's stating that Robert had threatened her and told her what to say. If they came forward and questioned her, of course.
0: Right. And then, you know, she also claimed that he wasn't, you know, that good in bed because of the half tongue. thing. Oh, well,
2: uh, (laughs) the thing here is though, police have stated more than once that Robert Cox, should be the prime suspect in the case of the Springfield three.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Now in an interview with Springfield police, Robert said, I can't tell you that said, I can tell you that I know that the three women are dead and the person who committed the crime had experience and that they are buried somewhere close to Springfield.
0: Well, here's what we do now. We know that he's capable of it. 100%. We we know that he was 100. Uh, We know that he was in the area. Uh, Yep. Right. And uh, we know that he's lying about the alibi. So yep. you create an alibi. Anytime you create an alibi, I don't like that.
2: Yeah. And the weird thing here is that after the girlfriend states that you know, you know, she says he that threatened me. He threatened me, and I had to say this. Well, then very quickly his parents rush to his defense and say, no, 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 he was with us that night. Right. Um, so this guy's got an answer for everything, but I can't believe either alibi uh, when we see the first one very quickly fall through and then the parents rush to to his defense where were the parents if, if they were, are correct about their dates I, mm-hmm. I do believe he stayed with them from time to time but I don't believe that they're correct about their dates because where were they when he was originally questioned about this now regarding
0: well, well here, hold on a second because here, hear me out if you're a parent listen to this the captain's going to give you a little parenting advice if you're Son,
2: don't you tell me how to raise my kid?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, hear me out. This is good advice. Here, here it is. If your son or your daughter is a is a piece of shit douche canoe, right? Right. T-shirts for sale on the website. Shameful. <laughs> if if that is the case, and they murder somebody, and there's enough evidence to lock their you know bastard ass up Wouldn't in jail you, yeah. for a long time. And then, and then a couple stupid white guys. I'm betting they're white White. The, oh, I thought you were talking about us. Well, uh, well, we are stupid and white. Um, but if they let you go, as the parent, I understand that you don't want to have a murdering kid. I, I understand that you don't want a piece of shit douche canoe kid. But you don't take them
2: back. You're exactly right. You
0: go, stay the hell away from me. Yeah. I, you, I don't know what happened.
2: Yeah. And I don't want you no. to live in, in my house either, you know, or furthermore down the block from me. I mean, yeah, it, the murder, the thing is, you know, you, you think your kids are good people. Most people think their kids are good people. Yeah, and the, until the, you're on trial for murder, but the murder does get overturned. However, we still have those two cases in California. This guy's guilty of something. We know that. And, and the thing is, Son or no son, I'm a live and let live person, and I try to give people second chances, and I try to be forgiving of those around me when they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. The problem here is I don't want this animal living with me. I don't want anything to do with this guy, and furthermore, I'm not going to lie for you to keep your ass out of prison. Yeah, and when your son talk like that
0: because he only has half of a tongue, the guy is guilty, okay? That, that poor girl was beat to death, and in the process, she took half of his tongue. Well, reg- all
2: right. Okay. Re- re- so, sorry. But regarding the statement that he gave to police about, the, you know, stating that he knew that the three women were dead, that he believed that the person that committed the crime had experience, and that they were buried somewhere close to Springfield— Those are all very kind of vague statements and very cocky statements, in my opinion. The police did take these statements, of course, very seriously and still do. But also they have reservations on the validity due to Robert toying with authorities with numerous lies Mm -hmm. and his constant attention seeking.
0: Yeah, and he did an interview, you know, his question, and there was an interview, I think the 48 Hours or the Disappeared or whatever had a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to see the whole thing. Yes. I'd I'd like to know more of his story.
2: There's been a local reporter that has covered this and I can't think of her name, but she's done a lot of good work on this case for many years now. Like I said, we're coming up just two two months away from the 25 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. She's done a lot of good work on this case. And I believe it was an interview with her that she conducted. And that's where he stated, you know, I know that they're dead and I know that they're buried somewhere around Springfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know why I, I partially why I say that those are vague statements is being so far away from you know time wise from the crime. It's very likely that all three of them are dead. It's m- probably most likely, right. and it's probably likely as well that they're buried somewhere around the Springfield area. Uh, this is where you you wonder if he's just he's just an attention seeking jerk. You know right. wh- because it's like oh well if they're found buried you know, you know, months or years from now around Mm. the Springfield area, then everybody's going to go, yep, that Robert Cox, he, he did it. He he did it or he knows all about it. Uh, And he, he seems to like the attention. He likes being interviewed. He likes talking to people. He likes throwing out these shocking statements.
0: Yeah. But like, like we said, there's all these things that kind of line up and to, to think in this small town, to have this kind of disappearance of three people and uh, three women in, in the middle of, you know, in the middle of the night, disappear into thin air basically. Mm-hmm. And you have this animal running around mm-hmm. and he di- was just recently there. It's, it just seems to be too much of a coincidence.
2: Well, it, it, the other thing too is, I mean, look at, look at his MO on three different occasions. Okay. Let's say he's only guilty of the two that he was actually convicted of, but on those two occasions alone, in the third one that he suspected of in Florida, he was basically driving around looking for a victim. It's not too far-fetched to think that maybe he was driving around and saw Stacy McCall driving that night or saw Susie Streeter driving that night and followed him well, back not, to the house. Right.
0: Or when they were walking. They were walking around at some point, too. I also think the thing is, like we said with his occupation, he has, you know, chances are he was driving some kind of van. Mm-hmm. And then also by working at the used car lot, he had, would have access to other vehicles yeah. as well.
2: Well, at the time he was just working the, the one job as the utility worker, but you're right. He would have he would have used a van for that type of job. He, regardless, he would have had access to his own vehicle or his parents' vehicle from living with them at the time. Uh, the thing here too, talking about his sort of shocking statements, there are reports out there that say that Robert has said that he will tell the truth about Cheryl, Suzanne and Stacy once his mother passes away. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't he won't do that until she passes away because he doesn't want to cause her grief or severe disappointment. Well, we well, can make well, that happen. Just w- let me know where that bitch is. Well, here's a news flash to you, Mr. Robert Cox. You're serving life in prison in the state of Texas. Guess what? It's too late, buddy. You've already caused your mother plenty of grief and plenty of disappointment. I shouldn't have called her a bitch. Okay. Now, yeah, it's not her fault that he's a monster. The thing well, here is, too. The, but
0: the thing that I don't like about her is that if they're trying to cover up for his ass, I mean, maybe they're telling the truth, saying, hey, we were with him that night. Well, then he has an alibi. Congratulations.
2: Mm-hmm. But they're, Well, they're either lying or mistaken. You know what I mean? I doubt that that it's mm-hmm. the truth. I just don't. I don't. My gut tells me it's not the truth there, uh, but I do want to be certain to throw this out that regarding the statements about his mother passing away and that he's holding withholding information until she does, uh, those statements cannot be confirmed. Those are those have been kind of rumored mm-hmm. statements,
0: right? And based off those statements, uh, we've had some a lot of people kind of looking for where maybe they could be buried.
2: Yes. And this is actually something that they came up with through the tip line and they've received multiple tips about this over the years. Mm-hmm. that indicate that the bodies of Cheryl, Suzanne and Stacy are buried underneath the South Side parking garage of Cox Hospital, uh, which, it, you know, was being built within the timeline of their disappearance, uh, just to throw this out there, I don't think that that we need to, but you know, it's the Cox Hospital. We were just talking about Robert Cox. Mm-hmm. It's not, coincidence? It's not his hospital; it just happens to be kind of a sure, creepy. Same yeah, it's
0: a creepy coincidence.
2: In 2010, a reporter using her own money hired a mechanical engineer with a very respectable resume and track record. Mm-hmm. Uh, he specialized in using radar to scan underground. Uh, Sure enough, the tips that were coming in, you know, that said that various people might have been buried in the area, uh, they may have panned out a little bit because while scanning the garage, the engineer noticed three anomalies. Uh, Sadly, though, he couldn't definitively say if they were actually bodies or not only that they resembled things that he had found in graveyards before when scanning graveyards.
0: Yeah. And they actually took up a petition on this, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Sign a petition.
2: Well, because there's a lot of people in the area that want the, they want someone to, to do the work and go down there and figure out if these are in fact bodies. Now the police, they are still skeptical and they are not entirely convinced enough to take samples Uh, from the concrete to help further the investigation in this specific area and would rather not cause destruction to the property of a very busy Mm -hmm. hospital. Well,
0: it couldn't be that expensive, and I think, you look, if you dig it up and you don't find anything, fine, okay? You know, you made a mistake, it cost you a little bit of money, and maybe they could take up a collection for people willing to help pay for that. I think that, but at least you'd get answers. Mm
2: -hmm. The thing here is I'm not certain. I don't have an idea of how much it would cost. Uh, I looked at the scan reports that they put out and I, and I'm uncertain of how deep these anomalies were. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it, it seems to me like depending on the depth that you might be able to just drill a hole and pull samples from, from that hole possibly, Rather than digging up the whole area.
0: You're exactly correct.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, The thing here is, like I said, you know, a lot of people in the area want this to be done. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, there have been people come forward and said, you know what? I'll pay for it. You know, including the the engineer and this reporter said, you know, we'll use our money. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll donate our time as well and, and pay for this for the city to have it conducted.
0: Well, because you have the family you know, this is a tragic event for the family for one. So you need closure for them and family and friends and all that stuff, but closure for the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, because once this happens in 92, I
2: mean, people start locking their doors more people not so friendly. Well, not only that, I mean the crime, the crime, as far as it's concerned on a national level, it's often referred to as the Springfield three. It's right. the, 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 Case is damn near named after your city.
0: Well, now I feel bad for calling that, you know, Springfield three on our show well, should have made up a different name. that's
2: on your head. My friend, <laughs> the thing here is though, captain, um, you know, we, this is a very strange disappearance to me. We, we have a crime scene where there's no evidence. It seems mm-hmm. like nobody saw anything. I do feel like that there's a lot of good suspects, a lot of good candidates that are possible abductors. I think that we've talked about, um, you know, most, most of, them. of them, right. Uh, one thing I do want to point out kind of a side note that on September 27th, 1997, all three women were declared dead by the state of Missouri. And I guess this is kind of a state law that, uh, five years after someone goes missing, the state can then declare that person dead, so their their official date of death would be listed as June eighth, nineteen ninety seven. Now, some of that has to be done because of you have like probate courts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people pass away, you have next of kin and things that can't go into the proper order until someone's legally declared dead. Um, unfortunately, with it being almost 25 years since the case. I think we're probably talking about three murder victims here. Uh, I, 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 I don't know worldwide how, how long it goes. I believe I remember reading about somebody being returned or found 24 years, 23 or 24 years after being abducted or held captive. So it's possible it's possible, but it's been a very long timeline uh, for these women to have been, just disappeared you know in hopes of finding them
0: well i think it's it's very sad when you have two teenage girls you know becoming young females and and what what they would be able to do with their life Mm -hmm. and then you have this this mother that just recently became a single mother and she seemed to be you know kind of a person that was you know take charge i'm going to take this uh this little tiny house that's maybe a little bit beat up and I'm going to fix it up and I'm going to do something with my life empowering. I think anytime there's an empowering women, it's a good thing. And uh, somebody took that away from us and, and away from our community.
2: Mm-hmm. So my thoughts here on this case, captain, my initial thought when I looked at this was it looked to me like somebody that knew, uh, the, either the girls or the mother. Mm hmm. And I'll tell you why I really thought that because first of, first of all, we see no signs of, of a forced entry into the home. It's almost as if somebody knew how to get into the home or was let into the house. Um, The other thing that really made me kind of back up that initial thought that it was somebody that knew them was the, was the strange and lewd phone calls after the fact and the reason why is because when I hear that somebody had just recently moved into the home, I didn't think that it was easily accessible to find their phone number and that, that therefore it would have had to have been somebody that knew the situation of the house mm-hmm. would have been led into the home, knowing that a man or men did not live there as well as knowing the phone number that could have been unlisted because they had just moved in. The problem is we, we did later learn that, that Stacy McCall's mother found the address and the phone number in the phone book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, somebody that did not know them could have gained access to the house somehow by conning their way into the home or being a utility worker claiming that, you know, y- y- I don't know that you could say your power's out because they probably flipped on a light when they came and heard the knock at the door. Right. Um, but the thing here is, the other thing that threw me off was, was the phone calls afterwards, because you, you think what kind of weirdo commits this horrible crime and then would want to potentially get themselves caught because they're calling after the fact. Mm-hmm. And then the more and more I got to thinking about it, the less that seemed unlikely. And, and I'll tell you why, because, you know, we covered back in episode 35, we covered Dorothy Jane Scott. And remember, she received phone calls all the way up to her abduction, Mm -hmm. and then her family still received phone calls many for four years, I believe, after the abduction. In that same episode, we talked about a, a victim named Amy Billick, and her family received phone calls for like 20 years after she disappeared. With the Long Island serial killer, it's believed that he used the victim's own cell phone to call the victim's sister. And make threatening phone calls to her after the fact. So I don't think it's that crazy. You know, when I first looked into this, I thought we were probably looking at this ex-boyfriend and his friends as being good suspects because there were three of them and they seemed to have some kind of motive and might have been able to get into the house. Right. They would have known that there was no man there. Um, the other thing too is I also wondered if it was somebody a little more that, that less that, that didn't have an axe to grind. I wondered if maybe they hadn't changed the locks when they moved in that if somebody would have had a key and knew that women lived there and they were some sicko and decided, well, this is an easy target for me. Right. The thing here is though, the more that I look at this, I feel like a guy like Robert Cox kind of fits this case better than somebody that knew them. I think I personally think that if it wasn't somebody that knew the victims, I think that we might have the, the main guy or guys on our list that we talked about today and yesterday. Right. And I think a guy like Robert Cox could have saw one of those young, attractive women driving around or walking around, like you said, followed them back to the house. And it may be something as simple as two girls coming in late at night. One of them didn't lock the door and he sits outside and he waits for all the lights to turn off mm-hmm. and he waits a uh, 45 minutes or an hour afterwards probably assumes that they've all gone to bed by this point and can catch them off guard. And he happened to go up to the door and it happened to be unlocked. He let himself in, turns on the TV to create some kind of white noise effect, or maybe that has something to do with the dog. I can't figure that part out. The lining up of the purses is weird to me too, because I can't fully grasp if that was something that was done by people that just happened to walk into the house afterward. You know, that could have been... In, the police right, said or maybe gr- nine or, their, or ten people were in there. Right,
0: or all the girls put put their purses together for whatever reason.
2: But, but it's still weird to me because I believe that all three purses were in one bedroom, which would be weird that the mother would leave her purse okay, in the daughter's okay, bedroom right, right, right. or the daughter leave it in the mother's. To me, it almost strikes me as... You know, like when you sometimes when if these guys, when they're in there trying to gain control of a situation, they have to kind of calm down their victims. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that sometimes they will do is claim like, well, I'm just here to rob you. I'm not here to take you anywhere. I'm not here to do anything terrible I'm to gonna you.
0: kill you. I'm, right. So
2: let's get I need everybody to get their purses. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Now, we know that the purses weren't ransacked because there weren't keys taken. There weren't money taken. It's been reported that maybe up to $700 was in Cheryl's purse. Right. And that's the other thing why I think that these three boys didn't, did not do it. They, they couldn't stop themselves from selling gold teeth for $30 to the pawn shop. Right. I don't think that they would have between the three of them been able to stop themselves from rifling through the purses and taking cash money.
0: Yeah. One of them would have. Yeah. Well, and maybe the TV too was just turned on for, for light. Yeah. I mean, like you couldn't find a switch or whatever. The, the busted uh, front porch light always gets me. It's weird, yeah. yeah. Well, and this Cox guy, it's like, I, I want to call him something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, I don't know what it's called. It's it's right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think with the three boys, I don't, look, just because you're able to steal stuff from a grave doesn't mean that you're able to actually kill and 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 bury three individuals. Uh, I, I don't know, but I think this Cox character, I wish he'd come forward and say more. And, uh, you know, maybe he will one day and maybe the community and the family members will get some closure. Cause like I said, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's tragic that it's women, but also women that were just in their prime of, of really creating a life and a future for themselves.
2: Well, the thing here is, too, what I would like to see happen is I would like to see law enforcement really stay on to Larry Hall and his Mm -hmm. brother, Gary Hall. Not just for the sake of this case of the Springfield three, but it looks like Larry's certainly guilty of a lot of other things that we are yet to know about. And he seems like he somewhat wants to talk and get some of this stuff off of his chest he's he's confessed to things, recanted. Mm-hmm. He's confessed to things where he's not given names or places or dates. I think at some point if you pressure this guy long and hard enough that I think that he will open up and talk and maybe we can get some of these get some closure for the families and get some cases off of the books. The other thing too is don't forget about the brother Gary. He seems to want to talk even though he's throwing all the blame on his brother Larry. Let's let's get him to talk as well because Maybe he can help us out, even even if Gary's not guilty of anything. Maybe he can help us out with, with cases involving his brother.
0: And to the brother and to all the families, really, we're, we are sorry for your loss. And and hopefully one day we'll get closure and it. And I don't understand why the police department wanted to say, hey, look, we're going to do testing on this concrete and at least uh, to figure out if this is a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. And so that they can move forward. And like I said, the community can move forward as well. All right. Recommended reading for this week.
2: For this week, we are recommending Warnings Unheeded by Andy Brown. Uh, This is really an incredible story. Andy Brown tells the true story that he lived. This is the true story of a law enforcement officer who kills a mass murderer. And then he tells us the fascinating details and the twisted circumstances that brought the two of them together on that fateful day. You have to check out Warnings Unheeded by Andy Brown. There is really no other book out there like this. Mm -hmm. It's warnings unheated by Andy Brown. And you can pick that up by going to truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended page. We have all of our books that we're recommending there, and you can purchase those through the Amazon banner. All right. It's getting hot in the garage. Hot in the hot. Thank God it's warming up, though. It's getting hot in the garage and the captain needs to cut the grass. I'm not cutting the
0: grass this way. You cut the grass. All
2: right, we want to thank everybody for joining us in the garage this week. And until next week, go buy the douche canoe shirts and be good.
0: <laughs> don't be a douche canoe and buy be good. Well, the, well, don't be a douche canoe and buy the douche canoe shirt.
2: That's right. And until next time, be good, be kind. Don't let it.